Hello, it is your money. I'm Susie Jones, back from vacation. Denny Long with you last week. And we want to start out by reminding our listeners today that if at any time they have a question, they can write this number down and call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That is 1-888-6-ADVICE. You can also email questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But for the next hour, you can call or text 651-461-9226. Now here is Wealth Enhancement Group Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor. Hello, Peg. Good morning, Susie. How are you? Wonderful. Back from Iceland. So I'm recalculating my brain. (laughs) Okay, well, we have a big day today because um, it's going to be, do you remember a couple, I think it was a month or more ago that we had Ask Peg Anything questions for the day and the phone was just ringing and the texts were coming in. And so today we actually thought we would give a boost to that and and we invited Nicole Webb uh, from Wealth Enhancement Group to join us. So today is Ask Peg and Nicole Anything. And so I'm excited about that. But let me introduce Nicole. Nicole is a certified financial planner, senior vice president, um, financial advisor with Wealth Enhancement Group. But while she's been at Wealth Enhancement Group, she's led with, you know, leadership roles, technical roles, advisory roles. But then back in 2017, she moved to New York City to open and run the Wealth Enhancement Group expansion in the Northeast. Currently... She's in Minnesota as a financial advisor and an advocate for all of her clients, um, you know, along with the roundtable. But, Nicole, your passion really is in intra-tax planning and investment strategies and that kind of thing. But I want to tell the listeners um, where you actually are a contributor to our media on behalf of Wealth Enhancement Group. She's on CNBC, Fox News, Bloomberg TV, and of course, uh, a guest on this radio show. But uh, so the listeners could Google Nicole Webb and they can watch some of the clips uh, if they're interested. But now Nicole resides in Minneapolis with her family, Mike and daughter Nash. So welcome, Nicole, to the show. Thank you for having me. That was that was my entire life in a nutshell right there. <laughs> yeah, I tried to put it in, in a short uh, short word there, but um, but you've done a lot and you've been with the company for 16 years. And so that that warrants um, trying to squeeze as much as you've uh, done all that time. That's fair. So, well, thank you for having me. This is a fun show in that we do get the listeners involved. So while we're lining them up, uh, here's the number one question that you and I are hearing, and I thought, well, just well, let's just talk about it on the radio, mm-hmm. is, you know, our stocks are down 20% this year, and it, it remains volatile. Should I mm-hmm. think about lowering my exposure to equities or stocks at this point in time? Uh, well, to, to those who don't know me, um, there is one thing that I am uh, well known for, and it is being a lover of down markets. I am a huge believer that uh, that is where money wealth is accumulated. Um, 
So the very first thing I would say is obviously no, that one should be grateful for the opportunity that down markets present, although it is incredibly challenging to feel that way. And I know in light of the geopolitical and, um, gosh, a global pandemic and just two years of really hard, draining time, uh, a down market on top of it can feel almost like, you know, the the icing on the cake or the last straw, would you, if you will. And I would just say that, you know, it really is an opportunity to reassess not only financial planning, but your investment strategies as a whole. Um, and I could go on and on, but the answer is just no, this is not the time Um to take money out of the market per se, but it is definitely time to take action in in a lot of different ways. There is endless opportunity. Yeah, one of the things that we're witnessing in our practice is that uh, people are actually quite calm as clients of Wealth Enhancement Group. I think we've gone through this a couple times already with our clients, and and we've only had a couple people you know, get out of the market. And our job is, you know, to coach them to do the right thing, even though we know that it's just nerve wracking and, and it's your money, right? Well, yeah. in, in, in this case, we, we get people to stay in and they've witnessed that the markets have come back. Is, mm-hmm. Would you say that, you know, there's a matter of time that the markets are just going to come back or how do people be patient the people especially that say this time is different. Yeah. I mean, every time is different. And I think, so if I was to list kind of the top three notable actions um, that everyone can be taking, I guess the first one uh in my opinion, would be to review what you're doing with your dividends. Are you reinvesting them or are you having them pay to cash? Um, This is an exercise I walk through with all of our clients, which is how much in reinvested dividends did you effectively buy into this down market? And I think that's a great framework for thinking about, wow, I, even if I'm not consciously making contributions to my investment accounts anymore, I am a buyer of down markets if I'm mindful about my, my dividends. And so I do think there is a lot of opportunity in choppy, volatile, down, any of those word uh, markets for people to be thinking about reinvesting their dividends and getting curious if that's something that they can afford to do. Obviously, everyone's income situation is different. The second thing I would say, and, you know, Peg, to your point, our clients are so accustomed to the coaching around this, but really being mindful of how you're diversifying across risk factors. Um, Not everything is supposed to move in tandem, but there are periods of time when stocks, bonds, real estate, and cash do not equal diversification. And so being really mindful of the underlying risk factors of the investment strategies that you have your money invested in. So is it concentrated in business risk, the opportunity for a company to grow or kind of stay flat? Is it interest rate risk, meaning that inverse relationship between what a what the value of a bond is and, and where interest rates are? Is it a hedge against inflation? Well, are those hedges against inflation still meaningful in my portfolio? And then lastly, are there investments that are non-correlated, meaning they're true diversifiers across those traditional risk factors? 
Um, and so that's the second item that I would in- encourage everyone uh, to, to review in this environment. And then the last thing I would say is that Uh, This is a great time to be really mindful of rebalancing. Uh, We get a lot of questions on, uh, you know, if my stock portfolio is down 20%, but my bond portfolio is down in tandem because this has been a difficult year for that. Is this really an opportune time to rebalance? And our perspective is more on making sure that we are taking into consideration the macroeconomic factors, meaning how does one weight towards large dividend-paying stocks versus growth stocks versus small-cap stocks in light of the environment that we're operating in. And so, again, there's a lot of layers to diversification. And in markets like this, I don't think it's about selling out of stocks or bonds, um, but making sure that your diversification strategy strategy is being managed in a mindful way. Yeah, very well said. Hey, listeners out there, today it's a little bit different in that we normally take questions at the back half of the show, but today we invite you to ask Peg and Nicole anything the entire uh, time frame that we have. So you can call us or text us at 651-461-9226 right now and kind of line up because We have Nicole Webb and Peg Webb in the studio today, and we would love to answer your questions about anything to do with finances. Nicole, you actually mentioned something that I want to go to next, and that is bonds. And you said stocks Mm -hmm. and bonds, and and maybe they're both down, but we still have to revisit. Um, What would you tell the listeners today? Is, Is this a good time to invest in bonds? Yes. Uh, absolutely. But don't get me wrong. Investing in bonds, is, there's, it's always a good time to be invested in bonds. And But today, there's a unique opportunity in that uh, what bonds are paying now is a very nice yield compared to the environment we've been living in for the last 15 years. For the last 15 years, really ever since uh, towards the beginning and then the end, of the Great Recession, we were in an easing environment, meaning we took interest rates down to pretty much zero and we hung out there for a very long time. And so bonds were frustrating to people because they didn't provide much income, but they did provide stability. Well, bonds didn't have to provide much income because we were really not living in an inflationary environment. So if you're earning pretty much nothing on your risk-free money, that's a very good indicator of the environment you're living in. It it generally means that the environment you're living in has pretty flat prices. Well, now we're living in an inflationary environment, so yields are higher. And so it's a little bit of a catch-22, but capturing this upside. So if we think about where the one, two, and three-year treasuries have been, which are a good indicator of the risk-free rate on money, um, it's been hovering around four, four and a half percent over the last couple of quarters. That's a unique opportunity compared to the environment we've been in. And so, yes, this is a very interesting time, especially if you've been someone who has sat on a lot of cash, to think about the types of investments that you can go into that provide kind of a risk-free yield that is much higher than perhaps you're accustomed to getting on your cash in the bank. 
Yeah, much higher. I think it was zero, and now it's like north of 4%. So, yeah, right. we are talking to lots of clients about if you have cash sitting in the banks or it's just sitting on the sidelines, now is the time to capitalize and at least earn some money on your money. Susie, it sounds like we um, are going to get listeners involved right now. Yes, yes. We have a number of people texting in their questions. A texter writes, how often does my wealth enhancement group advisor rebalance my managed account? And do I have to call and ask for changes? And this is something, for example, if you have a lot of money in stocks, would you move any over into bonds or do you just try to let your advisor decide what's best for your financial future? Uh, so one of the things that I'll start with, Nicole, and then um, hand it over to you is when it comes to risk tolerance, you know, how much growth you want in your portfolio per se stocks or how much, um, you know, safer side you want maybe bonds. That's a decision that the financial advisor makes with the client based on a risk tolerance survey um, the, the, you know, what kind of income you might need, what your risk tolerance really is. And so that's not something that Nicole and I as financial advisors for Wealth Enhancement Group can just change without talking to the client. And then the second thing was about wealth enhancement management and, you know, how often do we rebalance. But Nicole, can you comment on what I just said as far as the risk tolerance and then Talk about um, what Wealth Enhancement Group does as far as managing the money. Yeah. So when it comes to uh, asset management at Wealth Enhancement Group, we are a discretionary asset manager, meaning within the specific investment strategy that you're invested in within our firm, those mandates, mandate meaning what is it that I am asking this money to do? It, It has a specific risk tolerance or mandate. Those mandates are managed on a limited discretionary basis. And so our firm does, for each asset strategy that that we have, have parameters for which we are rebalancing on behalf of our clients without needing you to call us. We are proactively responding to the macro environment that we are operating in. So as an example, um, and again, this is just for example purposes, we were to say, hmm, if, it's po- if interest rates are going up, it's going to be much harder for small businesses to access lending as cheaply as they have in the past. So headed into that environment, perhaps we'll scale back on small cap exposure. Well, that's, that's very mindful, it's logical, and that's a real world example. But then in coordination with that, rebalance happens because if we're pulling back on small cap, We have to buy up something else. And so there's a lot of ways in which we are doing ongoing rebalancing of the the sleeves or the investment strategies uh, that we manage on behalf of our clients. And then to Peg's point on risk tolerance, I would go a little bit further to say that kind of our core competency and the way that we manage assets on behalf of our clients Writing the investment strategies or coming up with how a client's money is invested is the last step in the process. The first step is to really unify those core pillars of financial planning. 
So one must take into consideration the way that their intra-year tax plan, their income plan, um, their age, their their future legacy or estate plan, how all of that wraps together into one unified strategy. And then we prescribe the investments to speak to that plan. And so, again, it really comes down to the prescriptive nature of unifying those core pillars to make sure that we're counting for uh, the ripple effect, meaning what is your WDIW? What do I want and how are we backing into that on your behalf? And so um, it's, a li- it's just a little bit deeper on kind of how one comes to identify what their overall asset mix is. And, and that is very much done on, at the advisor level within our firm. All right, 651-461-9226 if you have a question for Peg or Nicole. And we have a caller. Deb is on the line to ask you both a financial question. Go ahead, Deb. You're on with Peg and Nicole. All right, thank you. Say, I'm hoping, I'm 61. I'm hoping to do some retirement in 2023. And I guess I'm just wondering, um, I've heard about Roth conversions trying to get some extra cash for retirement. Is is there a better time or when is a good time to do some conversions to a Roth from my, my company 401k? Go ahead, Nicole. We have a, a couple minutes here that we can answer her question. Yeah. And then if we can't get to it all, because Roth and conversions are a very hot topic right now, and we are implementing a lot of them. So go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Deb, I love your question and congratulations. I mean this sincerely on just that window of of retirement in the near future. Roth conversions are something that every single person should be reviewing. Um, The timeline is is December 31st. So if you want that conversion, which is a taxable event, to happen on this year's tax return, um, then yes, you would want to review your situation and see if there's opportunity. Now, Some people prefer to wait till the year in which they retire to do their first conversion because you're not going to have your income from being employed on your tax return. So there's a lot of ways to think about Roth conversions. Uh, We actually just uh, recorded last week a 30-minute intensive you only have one month left to get your Roth conversions done um, educational online workshop, which is going to be posted on our website. So I'd encourage you to look at that uh, later this week, early the following. Um, but a lot of people who think maybe the market's down this year, who know that there's room left in one of their tax in, in a tax bracket for them this year, um, who feel like they want to split doing Roth conversions between this year and the following year, or just getting some in before December 31st and some in after January 1st. There's a lot of reasons why people are looking at Roth conversions right now. Um, Some of it being where the market is, some of it being that taxes are on sale, believe it or not. Um, The tax code that we are operating in is discounted compared to the one we had in 2017 and prior. And the current tax code disappears on us on January 1st of 2026. So these are all the reasons why Roth conversions are such a hot topic. I hope, Deb, that you are working with an advisor in anticipation of your upcoming retirement, and hopefully they can help you look at your situation. Um, 
If they are not familiar with the tax planning, um, you know, talking to your CPA or whomever does uh, your taxes for you on an annual basis would be another great option. Or consulting a firm like Wealth Enhancement Group where we do look at um, all three core pillars of financial planning to help advise on whether or not a Roth conversion is a fit for you and to to what extent or how many dollars should one convert in any given year. Um, And the last thing I'll say, because I know I'm up against like 60 seconds of time, is that being 61 years old means that you're a couple years away from collecting Medicare. Um, I'm not sure what your health insurance strategy is between retirement and age 65, but having some after-tax money, like Roth money, uh, is very helpful in controlling your tax bracket when you're in the distribution phase of life. And controlling your tax bracket helps you qualify for different uh, tax credits here in the state of Minnesota, as an example, on the healthcare exchange, um, or also how much you're paying in Medicare premiums. So. All of those would be reasons why you should review your Roth conversion. Susie? Yes. So on that note, we will take a break right now. But remember, you can call 651-461-9226 if you have questions for Peg or Nicole. We have a number of text questions still that we will get to after this break. Welcome back. It is your money reminding you that uh, you can call or anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if you have a financial question, one eight 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 six advice You can also email your questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com when we're not in the show. But while we are in the show, we'd love to hear from you. Please give us a call. You can text your question, but you can also call. We'd love to put you on the air, 651-461-9226. Now, once again, the Wealth Enhancement Group Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor. It is Peg Webb. Peg. Thank you, Susie. Hey, it's a little bit different today in that we would love to just get your questions and get listeners involved like we do um, every show, but specifically because Nicole Webb, um, Certified Financial Planner, Senior Vice President of Wealth Enhancement Group and a Financial Advisor is with us today. And the reason this is important is to get some other insight, you know, from our roundtable and our advisors within Wealth Enhancement Group, 16 years of experience. She's held leadership roles, technical roles, advisory role. She, uh, 2017, moved to New York City and ran our Wealth Enhancement Group expansion out there in the Northeast. Currently, she's in Minnesota, where our headquarters is, financial advisor, advocate with her clients, um, works a lot with the specialists on our roundtable, And um, Nicole, lots of people can see you uh, not only just in um, podcasts, but also in uh, print and also on television, CNBC, Fox News, Bloomberg, and very busy lady um, helping us out today with the radio. So welcome back, Nicole. Thank you. And uh, Peg, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I... um, If we could just wrap up a a caller, Deb had such a great question about Roth conversions. And I had just one more thing I wanted to mention about that, but please, you go ahead first. Oh, I was going to lead down that path as well about this webinar that you talked about. So if you could mention Mm -hmm. that again, because it almost sounded like it was a little bit in passing, but I bet our listeners 
would love to catch that. Yeah, so two old. Um, one, last month, uh, myself and then um, I was joined by two colleagues who are true tax specialists based of our North Carolina office. Um, they joined me to help do a 60-minute uh, webinar uh, that is very educational about creating tax diversification. And so I would encourage you under the resource center on healthenhancementgroup.com, um, if you are interested in strategies and just some knowledge around how one creates tax diversification, um, that I really think we hit on some good meaty content there. Um, last week, I actually just um, recorded uh, what will be published around the first week of December, and it's um, a fast class. It, I think it's going to be less than 30 minutes, again, published through our resource center on wealthenhancementgroup.com um, about is a Roth conversion before December 31st right for you. Um, if you are listening today, if you if any of the things I'm about to say pique your curiosity, talk to someone about Roth conversions, um, you know, when are you a fit? Why would you be a fit this year? Um, these are my top five things that I say, ask yourself if any of them seem interesting, then have the conversation advocate for um, advocate for yourself. Is this something I should be doing? The first would be, do you believe taxes are on sale? Meaning, do you believe that over the next five, 10, 15 years, uh, tax rates will go up? The second would be you think the market is on sale. So do you believe that you have investments in tax-deferred accounts that are on sale, meaning they are, they're down from where they will be in the future? The third would be, is it, is it of importance to you to leave the most tax-efficient estate possible, both to maybe your surviving spouse or you know your, your children, if that's of interest to you, your grandchildren? Um, the next you're willing to pay some tax today to pay less taxes over your lifetime. There is a break-even point for when Roth conversions make sense, and that's something to explore. And the last would be know your tax bracket on a federal and on a state level each year. You're coming towards the end. What does that look like? Um, and with that, is there room left in one of these lower tax brackets that you could soak up by doing a Roth conversion? This year, not many people are going to have capital gains that flow through onto their 1040. Hopefully, you are tax loss harvesting throughout the year. And because you're not going to have that capital gains income, perhaps that alone gives you room to explore Roth conversion. So again, those are my top five things to think about um, you know, in terms of your own plan and is a Roth conversion right for you. And then wealthenhancement.com. And then when you go to our website at the top, it says insights. And if you click on that, it says webinars. So if you click on that, there it is. Tax smart investing strategies uh, from a couple weeks ago that Nicole did. So if you want to go listen to that now, prior to uh, us creating the next one that'll go on there, just go and uh, check out that site often because we're adding content all the time. So, Susie? Okay, we have, again, a number of texts at 651-461-9226. Uh, we had a text early in the show that said, I have an insurance policy question about long-term care. When can I start to use it? Is there state and federal tax on this? And is it considered income? Or can I 
plan on all the money to pay for using it for nursing home care. Does that make sense? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think people do have long-term care and wonder about when and how and is it considered income. Yeah, so I would say, Peg, I'm going to make you handle the the hard parts of this one because you have more personal experience with with long-term care policies. But what I would say is, is to all listeners, and as I dissect that question and the way it was typed in, it sounds like this this person is asking about a hybrid policy. So a life insurance policy that has a long-term care rider versus simply just uh, a traditional long-term care policy, which is going to be different in that it won't have cash value in it, et cetera. So Peg, perhaps you could just go a a little bit further. Yeah. So long-term care insurance. So it's a way of protecting you from having to pay out of pocket if you have a long-term care event. The question is, one of the questions was, how do I start it? Like, what? how am I eligible to start it? Well, each company, insurance company, uh, creates a contract. When you purchase long-term care, it's all the detail about the terms and when can you utilize your policy. I can't generalize because I've read a lot of those policies and they're unique to one another. But basically what they're saying is, you know, can you bathe yourself? Can you get yourself out of bed? You know, can you walk? There's just certain things that um, have to happen for you to be able to make a claim. Then secondly, is your policy taxable? 99% of the ones that I have witnessed and read are tax-free when you make your claim. And then, Nicole, when you talked about um, combining, you know, a fixed product with long-term care, there's traditional long-term care where you pay a premium and you basically pay your premium and you lose it if you don't make any claims that particular year, right? Each and every year, kind of like life insurance, you have to pay your premium so that if an event happens, you still have that policy. Well, there's some non-traditional plans out there uh, that were designed to encourage people to to um, cover themselves. Like, let's not have everybody run out of money because of a long-term event because it's super expensive. How do we help people, you know, um, instead of just buying insurance, maybe they buy an investment that then would turn into long-term care if that long-term care event um, happened. So I like the fact that the industry as a whole has been creative and has come up with ways that people can pay for it outside of just the traditional insurance, because many of the listeners have called us over the, the weeks and years and said, wait a minute, my life, my policy for long-term care has increased 20%. 30 percent. And that is a true fact. And part of that is, is that the history of long term care and the um, underwriting of it, they assume that a lot of us would cancel our policies throughout time. And believe it or not, no one's canceling. And there's a lot of um, uh, claims being made on long term care. So they had to go back to um, the people that 
designed it and said, okay, if we want this to last for the rest of these people's lives, we have to increase um, our premium. And I own long-term care insurance. I've owned it for 15 years. I fully understand all the things that are happening. But once again, I like that the industry is being creative to come up with products that can help us from, um, you know, all of us just going on, let's say, the state of Minnesota uh, because we ran out of money to pay the long-term care facilities. So, Susie? All right. We have a text question. And reminding you as well as you're listening this morning, you can certainly feel free with your question to call us. Certainly we'll read the text, but it would be love to hear from you as well at 651-461-9226. But this texter writes... I have an HSA. I'll retire at 62. I will continue with a high deductible health plan until I reach Medicare age. At what point do I have to stop contributing to the HSA? Also, can I pay my LTC, long-term care premium, from my HSA? That's from Scott. Thank you, Scott, for that question. Peg, it looks like you get a warm-up to next week's content. Yeah, we do. We do. (laughs) Um, So at 62, if you have a high deductible plan, you can absolutely continue to contribute to your health savings plan. When you turn 65, the minute you tell Medicare that you want to be on Medicare and you get your Medicare card, that is not a high deductible plan and you need to stop putting into your health savings account. Um. The, the other question that was um, was addressed was, what was the third one? I forget now. Um, with a health savings plan, if you want to make a claim um, with your premium of long-term care, um, I would actually have to research that one. I haven't uh, reviewed that in a while, and so I can come back next week and answer that unless you know the answer, Nicole. I, I actually do not know the answer. I yeah, know that... Was- the only thing that I will say is that we do advise, and I think this is where um, some people who fully understand the tax advantageous nature of a health savings account lose sight of the fact that leaving uh, dollars in a health savings account uh, to your beneficiary does not pass along those same uh, tax benefits, meaning it's not like leaving a Roth behind. Uh, it truly is only tax advantageous if it's you who spends your own health savings account. So don't just sit on those forever thinking it's something that you can leave behind uh, that, that is tax advantageous to your heirs. Cause that's simply not the case. But on the long-term care p- premium piece, I, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, and I think more than I got a minute here to think about it. I do think that you can, but in some cases it's a percentage of. Um, And so we'll look that up and I'll circle back next week. Susie? All right, very good. Thanks, Scott, for that question. This texter writes, I'm 77. My portfolio is down about 22%. Should I start withdrawing from my annuity? I think that is the natural Mm -hmm. inclination, is it not? But maybe there's... Uh, information you want to share with a person who, you know, I mean, you're in retirement, you're in full retirement, you see your money dwindling, that's got to give you a little heart palpitation. (laughs) Yeah, I, I am, uh, I would love to know more about your annuity. And this is where um, 
I always, I never want to give people gray answers when they reach out to us and ask a specific question. But there are lots of types of annuities. But in my mind, when I think about an annuity, unless it was specifically purchased with a uh, with the intent of creating um, a death benefit, uh, which is a possibility with annuity contracts. If that wasn't the intent behind it, then generally I think about annuities as a way to um, collect a stream of income um, for a period of time or for my lifetime. And so I am a big advocate of if you are, are paying the premium to own an annuity uh, and it is designed to protect or create a, a, a known stream of income, then yes, you want to be taking advantage of collecting that income stream. Um, or if it's simply you know, a fixed indexed type of product where you know you're not uh, effectively locking in a loss, meaning selling something that's down, um, then that is another great reason to be utilizing uh, you know, annuity dollars. Just be mindful of the context or the taxability of those annuity dollars. And if there's any ripple effect through the rest of your financial plan by taking income from the annuity versus perhaps where you were taking it before. You know, I love everything you said there because it it kind of makes us aware of annuities being maybe a little bit different than just a regular investment. But it also, my mind went to, I like that, that the texter is conscientious of where to take their money from now that everything's down. And Mm -hmm. that follows the wealth enhancement group prescriptive method of how do we create income? And a lot of times people think, oh, I'm just going to turn on my income and maybe it's a portfolio of 50% stocks and 50% bonds and they're just sending me a paycheck monthly. And it's almost like your dollar cost averaging out. I would say at this moment in time, that's not the best um, idea because you are selling down. Maybe you have cash in the bank. Maybe you do have an annuity like this texter said. Look at alternatives to selling out of the market down because we do believe historically we do know that the markets have come back and we also believe this time will happen too. So be very conscientious of where you're taking your income from and and contact your financial advisor if you believe that you're selling out of stocks and bonds when they're down, maybe look at an alternative. Susie? Okay. Yeah, Yeah, we have another text question. Um, Can a person who has turned 65 but is still working and has health insurance through their employer combine a high deductible health plan with a health, oh, geez, it just went down, with a health Flex plan <laughs> with a health care flex spending account since they no longer contribute to the health savings account. Hmm, that's a little complicated. They're wanting to know. That's, that's, oh, yeah, that's a lot of information stacked, but this is, this mm-hmm. is what I would say. Um, this, this is where having a round table of specialists at your firm kind of creates a, a crutch for you and why I'm so amazed that Bruce and Bigfoot opening up, you know, to, to every type of question, um, you know, when it comes to the interconnectedness of Medicare and health savings account and continuing to work, because many people work past the age of 65, um, 
you know, you have a lot of options available to you. The thing that everyone must do is notify Medicare. You have a responsibility at the age of 65. You also, though, have a lot of choices from that moment going forward. And so those choices will predicate what it is that is available to you through both your employer plan or through supplemental health care programs. Peg? Yeah, what I can tell you is the employer is not necessarily, they don't contact you and say, these are all the things you need to know Mm -mm. if you're still employed. A lot of times you have to reach out to the human resources department and get all that detail. And so I like what Nicole said is there's a lot of complexity to this, and it doesn't mean that every company is the same. So contact your HR department uh, and get those details. I'd feel better about that. Uh, Go ahead, Susie. Okay, 651-461-9226. You have time to call if you'd like to actually talk to Peg and Nicole. A texter writes, does an IRA pay as much return as a 401k? Hmm. Thoughts? Yeah, I got, I have some thoughts. They, they, they should have the opportunity to return the same. Um, There's There's a lot of great things about employer 401ks, um, and then there's a lot of great things about uh, kind of the open architecture nature of an IRA. And what I mean by that is um, 401ks have unique benefits to them, but they are employer-sponsored. And so with that employer sponsorship, sometimes, not always, and in a lot of big companies, are are creating more opportunities here, but you may be limited in the number of investment options you have versus a traditional IRA, you generally have the entire universe of investments open to you. So if you can create like-for-like investment allocations, um, there should be no difference between the 401k and the IRA. Um, Those two account types are simply tax-deferred in nature, meaning the contributions, um, once they're inside of the 401k or the IRA, grow tax-deferred, no 1099 each year, Um, but the distributions or the withdrawals from those accounts are taxable as ordinary income, both at the state, you live in in a state with state income tax, and at the federal level. Peg? Susie, we're running out of time. Thank you so much, Nicole, for joining us today. It was uh, it was um, very informative, and thanks for joining us. And Susie, we'll see you next week. That's right. Lot to talk about. Again, if you did not get your question answered, you can email it to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com or call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 888-6-ADVICE, 888-6-ADVICE.